What's going on? Anybody excited this morning? Well, forget you because I'm excited for both of us. Amen. Amen. I felt like back, I felt like I was coming out to a fight. So somebody's going to get knocked out. Amen. Father, we just thank you, God. We thank you, God, that you know exactly who's here. You know exactly what to say and what to do. Father, shut me up and have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Here's the quote. This has been on my, my Facebook this week. It, it's from John 13. It says, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. Thank you, man. I needed that. That's good. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciple. You don't get a better quote than that. Amen? See, I want to continue our series through the book of Genesis. Man, we're, 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 coming, we're coming to a close. We're getting there. Amen? So I want to share a message today about the providence, the plans, and the the purposes of God in a message titled, Get You came to give me a hug? All right. Get out of here. (laughs) In a message titled, What's Love Got to Do With It? Oh, snap. I knew there'd be two of you singing. I knew it. And it was... As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Fam, we, 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 can't, we can't just, you know, hear that and, and, and move on. We, we can't just hear that and not, we, we have to live that. We got to walk that. Amen? We have to actually do what it says. Listen, I don't want us to be a, a talking church. Uh, you know, I, 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 I talk to people who say, the, and maybe you guys know these people, right? They say the same thing year after year after year. They're always talking disparate, right? Oh, no, I'm going to, when I get, when I do this and when I, you know, when I get, shut up, do something, right? Stop talking. I don't want to be, listen, my new pet peeve, I'm on the subway now in the mornings, and I listen to conversations on the subway. Oh, man. How many of you find those guys on the train that they're bragging, right? They're trying to impress somebody. And they're talking and talking and talking and the next stop and the next stop and they're talking and talking. And you see the person that they're talking to, you know, they're just like, they're praying for death. You know, they're praying for like a collision that we could all die because they just don't want to hear anymore. This person's talking, right? Or you see them like they're reading every sign on the subway. Like every, they're reading the copyright, they're reading everything, they're counting how many W's are in that sign, because, because this person is just talking, and sometimes I have to catch myself and start to pray, because I just want to get up and say, Papi, callate, ya, shut up! And I'm sure if I did that, like people in the train would clap, right? right, right, right. See, I want to raise leaders and raise a church that do more than they say. Amen? 
Listen, next week I'm going to share my heart with you about the vision to expand this part of the building to fit more people and then expand and then, listen, and then we, we, you and me, are going to raise the money for the down payment to buy this entire building and I'm, I'm calling the project, I'm calling the project the taking of 1469. <laughs> For those of you a little slow, the building is 1469 St. Peter's, so the taking of, that means, you know, all right. Amen. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Listen, Francis Chan, I, I love to listen to this guy. He's hysterical. And he says in an illustration, when I tell my daughter to go and clean her room, she, she can't come back to me later and say, Daddy, I've, I've, I've done it. Or you've cleaned your room. No, I've memorized what you've told me to do. Yeah, Daddy, look, I can even say it in the King James. Go, my daughter, and cleaneth thy room. Look, Daddy, I'm even studying on how to say it in the Hebrew and the Greek. As a matter of fact, Daddy, we're, we're getting together with a bunch of friends. They're going to come over. We're going to form a study group, and we're going to talk about what it would be like if I cleaned my room. That would be so weird to do in any other area of our lives, right? In school, in work, it would be weird. But when it comes to church, when it comes to the Word, that's what we do. We know what it says, and so we study it, we memorize it, we start ministries about it. But God says, no, just do it. Just do what it says. You know, you wouldn't have to start a ministry if you just did what it says. The ministry would start itself. Amen? We need to just do what the Word says. What's love got to do with it? Jesus said in John fourteen fifteen, if you love me, you do what I say. We live in supposedly a Christian nation where, where like 70% of people claim to be Christians. Are you serious? How many people are doing what it says? You, you can't just buy the t-shirt and the bumper sticker and put the fish on the car. You have to actually do what it says, amen? And so church, that's why, in case you're, if you're new here, I'm sorry, we're, we're going through the Bible book by book by book until he comes. Because I want us to eat the real meat of the word, amen? Not just, not just some goodies that I could pick out every Sunday. If you came for goodies, you're in the wrong place. See, I, I want us to have more than the pastries and the desserts, you know, those portions of the Word that seem good to us, that are easy to take, right? You know, the God loves you. God accepts you. You can come to God just in your stinky self. God, and, and listen, those are all true. I'm not, I'm not belittling that. That's, that is all true, but we need the full Word. We need to hear everything, Amen. Listen, we are special. We are cared for. We are the apple of God's eye. Mm, have another candy. But, but we don't come to church to get cavities. We come to church to be the church so that we can get built up to do and be and live and walk like the church. Amen? If, if you want to be flaky, keep eating the pastries. But if you want real power... 
You need to eat the full portion of the Word. You need to let it get inside you. You need to digest it. And then you need to exercise. You need to walk that thing out. Amen? You eat it and you walk it. You, 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 you exercise, you hear it, and you walk it. Listen, too many Christians have become lactose intolerant when it comes to the Word. <laughs> you say, talk to me about, you know, that, but, oh, no, no, when you talk to me about money, no, that upsets my stomach. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, 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 don't talk to me about my lifestyle and the way I'm living. No, no, that gets me, that gets me, you know, that bothers me. That makes me a little sick. No, no, don't talk to me about my attitudes and the way I treat people. No, no, that makes me gassy. No, no, that's not the word I want to hear. I want to hear about my best life now. That's all I want. Amen? We need the full word and everything that it says, and then we need to walk it out like it really matters. If you want anybody around you to believe what you say, you need to walk like it matters. So listen, family, we've seen it all through the book of Genesis. The enemy's greatest priority has always been the attack on the people of God and the breakdown of the family. Am I talking to anybody today? That's always been the enemy's greatest priority, the attack on his people and the breakdown of the family. If you're ready, open your Bibles to Genesis. Because you need to make sure, I'm going to say some crazy stuff that's in there. There's a warning already on the, on, the, on the stage. That's some crazy stuff in chapter 38. I don't want you to think I'm making this up. I want you to be able to look in there and say, for serious? That's in there? That's deep in. Chapter 37, it starts with Joseph's walk, and, and, and Gary did an awesome job last week, man, just knocking that out the park. And, and, and then chapter 39 to 50, we're going to follow the life of Joseph to the end of Genesis. And so through, through this season, we're actually going to finish the book of Genesis. Isn't that exciting? Like, if you've been here just over a year, you've gone through the entire book of Genesis. I mean, that's incredible. Like, who can say that? Like, we've gone through the entire book of Genesis. I, I love being able to, to, to say, man, we did that. That's incredible. And know that we didn't skip all the hard parts. Know that we didn't, we, man, we talked about some ugly stuff, right? This was a telenovela going on here every Sunday. All right, so, so 37 is Joseph, 39 to 50 is Joseph. But stuck in there, there's this weird little chapter, chapter 38. Whew. And chapter 38, it jumps off of Joseph for a moment, and it focuses on the life of Judah. And why? Because the lineage of the Messiah is going to come through Judah. And so in order to fulfill every Bible prophecy that was ever spoken about the Messiah, we have to trace his lineage. And so the, the Bible, um, the, the, the way God inspired the Word, everything that was written has to trace back to Jesus. Amen? That's what's so amazing about the Word. It was written by different authors in different places of the world at different times, but everything that, every prophecy that's listed, it aligns up and it points to Jesus. That's the only way we can know that Jesus is the Messiah. So in, in Judah, you know, the whole genealogy of Jesus is recorded from the very beginning so that it can be traced. In Bob Deffenbaugh's commentary of Genesis 38, 
He says, the family was then and is now under attack on two major fronts. One of them is the area of purity and separating from the world. And the other is the area of walking with each other in love. Separating from the world and walking in love. Those are the two major fronts, and I I agree with that wholeheartedly, that the enemy is trying to, to, to break down. And listen, the purposes of God needed to be realized in the families of Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob. And so the breakdown of the family, understand that it threatens from a human standpoint the very purposes of God. And so even today, with you and me, those same challenges exist. The breakdown of the family threatens, from, from a human standpoint, the very purposes of God. You know that you and I have a purpose in God. And when, when we allow the family to get broken down, we, we thwart, delay, push back, postpone, change the, the promises of God, the plans that God has for us. If we allow that. Now, now the providence of God says God is going to have his way and things are going to do, things are going to happen the way he wants to happen anyway. And all things are going to work together for God. But, but we, we have to protect that. Amen? So the first attacks on the family are in the area of purity and separating from the world. Remember, the word says we're supposed to be in this world, but not of it. Right? So we've seen through all of the founding families, the struggle to remain godly while immersed in a culture that was so ungodly. How do we stay clean in a dirty place? Anybody struggle with that? I mean, do we see that, do we see that battle, that challenge in our lives? How do we stay clean in a dirty place? They, and we, we see how they've gone through so many changes, man, to try to ensure that the men don't intermarry with the, the women from the pagan cultures. Because if they intermarried, they'd bring with them their false gods and their religious rituals and all of that stuff was an abomination to God. And so every time we see that they did that, it brought with them tremendous consequences. So that same incredible pressure is on our families today. Because any, does anybody feel it? The pressure to conform to the world around us. The pressure to give in to what this culture says it's okay. Can we, can we get raw for a minute? Listen, we do, we, meaning you and me, we do and say and watch things that 50, 60 years ago non-believers wouldn't say and watch or do. Because our culture, we've accepted what our culture says is acceptable. And so our children, they've been assimilated and pressured to conform to this culture and to accept what's acceptable. Look at the music. Look at the TV shows. Listen, in what other culture would a show about fist-pumping guys going out every night to find a woman at a club to bring home to smash on national television... In what other culture would we make them rich and famous? Rich and famous. Our culture says that's acceptable. We've made that acceptable and we reward it. How about our culture's fascination with vampires? Every other show. 
There's six shows on national TV right now, and like five of them, uh, you know, somebody's uncle's a vampire. Like, serious? You guys are laughing, but you got them on DVR. Because, listen, that's acceptable. The, the society has packaged it in a way that it's not, it's not, it's not um, wicked. It's not. They're undead. <laughs> really? Can, can I just kind of open your eyes for a minute? Vampires are not evil? <laughs> like, serious? They eat blood. Blood is what? The life source of God. We're washed and cleaned by the blood of Christ. He shed his blood that we can be whole. But, the, but vampires are not wicked. But we've accepted what's acceptable. How about shows like Pretty Little Liars? How about shows like Skins? It's not, we're not even hiding it no more. What's it about? Skins. What are we going to see on that show? Skins. And, and listen, it's like everything on that damn network, it puts pressure on our family to conform, to, to, to not remain separate or remain pure. We've been so drawn in that we're slowly swallowed up when the Word tells us clearly in Romans 12, 2, say it with me, do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, that's proof. The Word says it. We memorize it, but we don't do it. Like, how does that make sense? God says to do it, so we memorize it. That's good. I bet you I'll bring people up. Some of you can say it in the Hebrew and Greek. Some of you can preach a message on it. Some of you could run a Bible study on it. You could go to the home groups, and, and you could do a home group message, man, and real get all into it because you know all about it. But church, we got to actually do it. Amen? God tells us to do something, and we memorize it. Well, let's get into chapter 38. You ready for this? This is crazy. The warning is up. Okay, good. So Judah, he slips away from his family, and he enters into a relationship with a Canaanite. First mistake. He, he, he separates himself from his family. It says he leaves his brothers, and he enters into a relationship with a Canaanite. And, and that becomes like his boy. He forms an alliance with this man named Hira. And now, every time Judah gets into trouble, you'll see that Hira is mentioned there. See, when you have a best friend that's, 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 you know, what is that friend sharing? What advice is that friend giving? What counsel is that? What, what encouragement are you going to get, right? It, it matters who we join with. It matters who we roll with. Who your ride or die is matters in the spiritual so, so, all right, he was with Hira, and he sees this daughter of another Canaanite, and the word says he saw her, and he took her, and he went into her, and she conceived. It's pretty raw, right? That's the way it says it, though. I'm not adding to that. So, already two big mistakes. His partner was a Canaanite, and then he chooses a Canaanite woman to sleep with and be his wife. Listen, he is so conformed to the culture around him right now that he's not making good decisions. 
He's definitely not making godly decisions. You will not make godly decisions when your influence is not godly. You, it would be, it's going to be real hard for you to do that. Side quote. You must constantly ask yourself these questions. Who am I around? What are they doing to me? What have they got me reading? What have they got me saying? Where do they have me going? What do they have me thinking? And most important, what do they have me becoming? And then ask yourself the big question, is that okay? See, your life does not get any better by chance. It gets better by change. So, okay, this woman, she has a son, and they named the son Er, E-R. And then she had another son, and they named him Onan. And then she has a third son. They're, they're getting busy. And, and they named him Shelah. So now Judah, after probably making a mess choosing his own wife, decides, I'm going to choose a wife for my son. So he chooses for his wife, for, for his son, Tamar. Tamar's a little different. We don't know a lot about her. She could be a Canaanite. But she seems to be a little different. But, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Let's speculate because it doesn't say a lot, right? But verse 38, 7, it says, But Er, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. I mean, no, that's, that's some raw stuff, right? Now, we've just seen in the other parts of Genesis, people do some wicked stuff. They do wicked things, and God accepts them, and God uh, allows them to come back, and God calls them, and God draws them. But here, it says, Er was wicked. He didn't do wicked things. He was wicked, and God took him. So, see, listen, when you, when you step out of God's plans and you disobey, you uncover yourself, and you uncover your kids. Dads, you better hear this. When you step out of God's plans, you uncover yourself. We, we live in a time of grace and mercy where God has grace, where God's slow to anger, where God sees us through Jesus when we accept and when we walk. But when we uncover, when we step out of that, we uncover ourselves and uncover and expose our children and our wives and our families. So then Judah says, verse 8, Judah says to Onan, go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law and raise up offspring for your brother. That's not weird. In that time, if, if, if a brother's wife, if a brother died and his wife had no male children, the brother would sleep with her to, to give her an heir, to give her children, okay? So I, I know it sounds weird to us, but that's, that was the law back then. Well, that became the law later, but this was the custom, right? So now, now, now watch this. In that, you know, in that time, that's what they did, right? But this, this is where it gets really rated NC-17. And now you woke up, you're like, okay. That's some dirty, all right. So Onan, Onan knew, he knew that if he went into his, his brother's wife, he knew that if she conceived and had children, those children weren't going to be counted for him. And so he also knew that the more children she had, it would split the inheritance later on. So Onan saying, you know what, I'm not going to give her any children. So Onan would sleep with her. Let's, let's read it from the Word. Onan would, he would sleep with her, and let me try to put this delicate, but whenever he would sleep with her, he would pull away and spill his seed. 
so that her chances of conceiving were considerably less. Don't go using that method of birth control. It doesn't work. Just put that out there. Verse 10 says, And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death also. So Judah's son Onan had no love for his deceased brother. He, he wouldn't even walk in love for his own brother. He was motivated only by his self-interest and his selfish ambition. Notice he didn't refuse to have sex with her though. Right? Notice he said, no, it's biblical, man. I got to sleep with her. So notice he, he didn't refuse to have sex with her. He took that liberty. See, he wanted the benefits without the responsibilities. Where my singles at? Friends with benefits? You want the benefits without the responsibilities. I don't need to say much more on that. Amen? See, the church could be like that sometimes. We want the benefits. We want the feel-goods. But we won't accept the responsibilities. Too, too often we want to be connected to the body. We want to enjoy the body, but we won't deposit any seed. See, as far as Onan was concerned, it didn't matter if Tamar ever had a child, but God had determined that she would be the one through whom the Messiah would come. God had already determined that it would be through Tamar that the line would continue. So what happens? Okay, it would be customary now for the third brother to take, to take her and sleep with her and, and give her children. But Judah says, nah man, two kids, this woman is poison. <laughs> this woman's a black widow, man. This is crazy. I'm not going to give her my third son. So, so what, what is Judah, <coughs> you know, the man of God, what, what does he say? He, he sends her back. He, he says, listen, go live as a widow back in your father's house until the third son, Shayla, is old enough, and then I'll let you marry him. So he sends her packing. He says, go live as a widow in your father's house. Can you imagine how Tamar feels right now? She has been shuffled back and forth by men who say they worship God. She, she has been through a succession of funerals, and now she's sent home packing, still a young woman, She's sent home packing to live as a widow. And she probably understands why Judah won't even let her have the third son. But she's probably down on herself right about now, right? She's broken. She's abused. Years go by. And still Judah doesn't keep his word and doesn't bring her back. And doesn't give her the third son. And so now time has gone by. Years have gone by. Judah's wife dies. And apparently Judah doesn't miss her too much. He's not, that, uh, he's not that heartbroken over this woman. And a festival, a yearly festival comes up. And so Judah gets with his boy Hira and they go to the festival. And Tamar comes up with a plan. You ready for this? Now listen, the self-righteous in the room, you're going to be offended by this. But God uses it for good. I'm not saying it's right. 
I'm not excusing what she's about to do, what she's planning, but I'm saying don't judge or condemn what God already accepted. Remember, God isn't playing. He's already killed two people for, for not living, doing the right things. So Tamar knows how to catch Judah. See, Judah apparently has a character flaw. Judah apparently seems is very loose with his, uh, with his character. And so she knows how to catch him. So listen to what she does. She takes off her widow's clothes and she dresses with a veil over her face. And she goes to the red light district where she knows that Judah's going to pass on on the way back home. And Judah sees her, doesn't recognize it's her because of the veil. And he just assumes that it's a temple prostitute. Because the, the Canaanites had temple prostitutes. See, adultery was part of their religion. Sleeping with a temple prostitute was worship to the Canaanites. You see why God is trying to separate, right? It's the same today. It's the same thing today, isn't it? It's the, God's trying to separate us from the world because the world says that's okay. You're married, so what? Something better comes along, jump on it. If you, if you could get away with it, go for it. If you have a friend like Hira, he'll tell you, he'll do it. I'll cover you. I got your back. It's the same thing, isn't it? So, so okay, so he, he sees her, he makes a deal with her. He said, yo, how much, you know, you and me, we get it on, you know, and, and, and get some smashing going on. And so, and, and so he promised, she says, well, you know, what are you going to pay me? And so he promises that he's going to send her a goat, because that's what you do for prostitutes, you give them a goat. And, and so, I, I don't know, that's what happens, you know. You don't got a credit card or money or cash. So, so, so she says, she says, all right, but listen, I need some collateral until you send me that goat. I'm not going to let you have none of the goodies until I know that you can pay for it. Uh, I need some collateral. And he goes, so what do you want? And she says, oh, give me your signet ring, give me your cord, and give me your staff. Understand, that's like asking you and I for our debit card and the pin code. Really. That signet ring, anything you put on that seal with that, that means the king's approval and it's, it's done. So she asked for, for those things and he says, okay, baby, you got it. You know, I gotta, I gotta have me some of you. I mean, this is, at this point, I'll give you anything you need, you know? So she does the deed, he leaves. Later on, he sends Hira, his boy, with the goat to pay the prostitute. And so Hira goes to the place where he was supposed to be, and he doesn't find her there. And so he asked around, and people said, there's no temple prostitute that stays here. There's never been a temple prostitute here. And so he goes back, and he tells Judah, yo, she wasn't there. And, and so he says, okay, let's forget about it. Let's keep my things. Let's keep it hush-hush. Let's keep this on the low. Read it in your, in your word. It says that. He says, because if people find out, I'll be a laughing stock. They'll laugh at us. So let's keep it on the low, keep it hush-hush. Okay, so what happens? You know your sins are always going to find you out, right? Three months later, Judah hears some gossip that Tamar has been immoral and she's pregnant with her immorality. Some versions say Tamar's been playing the whore and now she's a pregnant whore. So righteous Judah, what does he say? Bring her out to me and let her be burned. What? Serious? He says, kill her for the things that she has done. And apparently he has that power. He can do that. And so they go and they bring her. They get the girl and they bring her. And she says, before they go to kill her and condemn her, she says, listen, the man who owns these things, 
That's the father of my baby. This is some Jerry Springer stuff right here. My, fa my father-in-law is the father of this baby, the guy who owns this stuff. Judah sees the stuff and he recognizes it and he's, wow. But now understand, he's still the man, he's still in charge, she's still a woman in that culture which has no power and no authority. He could still say, kill her, she's lying. She stole that stuff. But she, he stops it and he says, stop, stop the court. She is more righteous than me. So Tamar is vindicated. Tamar's actions start to work in Judah to make him the man that he was intended to be. He starts to get a spiritual backbone. And he takes responsibility. He, ta he raises them and he says that he never sleeps with her again. So it wasn't just for that. You know, he, he, he steps up. See, Tamar, just like we've seen with Jacob, she didn't do things the right way, but she wanted the right things. I know some of us are going to struggle with that, right? What's love got to do with it? Let's not be quick to judge her or condemn her, because God accepts her. She gives birth to twins, Perez and Zara. Let's give it up for the first Hispanic. Born, Perez. I don't know how a Canaanite and an Israelite had a Dominican, but Perez is born. And here is, I don't mean that, obviously I'm joking. Here is the awesome providence of God and the grace of God at work. Listen, very rarely was a woman mentioned in the genealogy of anyone. Women in that culture didn't matter. They were expendable. They had no rights. All that mattered is the sons that you would bring forth. If you brought forth daughters, you still didn't add up to nothing. So women were rarely mentioned in the genealogy of anyone, but we can bring up Tamar today because God listed her. God named her and included her in his family line. I mean, is this a gracious God? Is this like, this blow, I love that God did this. Matthew, the first gospel, right at the beginning of the first chapter in the first gospel. It gives an account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. She's listed, the first woman listed in Jesus' genealogy. In the family line of the Messiah, there are four women who get themselves listed in this genealogy through some pretty unconventional ways. You and I would have thrown them out of church. We would not have let them in ministry. We would not have let them speak from the stage. We would not have let them on the worship team. We would not have let them start any ministry, you and I. But God lists them. They're, they're not, and understand, they're not in Jesus' family tree because they were squeaky clean. Because they were exceptionally righteous. 
Tamar was the Canaanite who tricked Judah and played the prostitute. Rahab, she was the Canaanite who was a prostitute. She ran a whorehouse at the gate of the city. And she's in Jesus' family line. And Ruth, Ruth was a Moabite. That's like Canaanites are here, Moabites are lower. Ruth was a Moabite, and, and how, did, how did she get in there? She persuaded Boaz, the man of God, to marry her. How did she do that? She snuck into his room and slept at his feet. How many of you say, that's some shady business going on right there? Right? That's not what a Christian woman should do. She snuck in and slept at his feet. What's love got to do with it? You and I, we didn't get to choose our families, right? We wish we could have sometimes. But God had every choice. He could have done it any other way. He could have chosen the holiest of the holiest. He could have set apart some special people that he called unto himself. And he could have had that that lineage crystal clean. From beginning to end. But instead, he chose these women. Instead, he chose some, some pretty crazy characters. He, he chose some rough around the edges kind of people. Like you and me. And he loved them enough to list them and to use them and to, to have them remembered and, and through them to love you and me. And so, listen, we're our worship team, you guys can come. Maybe you can relate to Tamar. Like, you're, you're not from the best of families. Maybe you've had your share of bad relationships. You've been divorced a couple of times. Maybe you've been judged, you've been looked upon, you've been talked about. Perhaps you've given people plenty of reason to talk about you. You've done some pretty crazy things. Do you know today that God can still use you? Would you accept that today, that God can still use you? That God still accepts you? And he can even, he's even willing to list your name in the book of the redeemed. Maybe like Rahab, you, you haven't had, you haven't been the best person. You haven't done the right things all the time, but you're here right now or you're listening right now. And it's probably because like in the story of Rahab, God sent a spy to you. And when Rahab had the opportunity to serve God's people, she didn't let who she was before stop her from becoming who God said she could be. Maybe like Ruth, you've had a rough go at it. You come from some rough people. You've had some really hard breaks in your life. You've lost everybody. You've had to make some decisions and when it, when it comes right down to it, you didn't know if, if it's the right thing to do. You don't have to, you're one of those people, you don't have this church thing down like, like a, a lot of us like to fake it. 
And all you know, you don't know if this is the right thing or not, but all you know is you just want to lay down at His feet of the Redeemer and hope that God would notice you. And pray that God would accept you. Listen, so many of us fit into so into even maybe more than just one. But if that's you, if God brought you here today, and that's you, would you just maybe stand and say, that's, that's me, God. Amen. Amen. We don't want to... We're not here to embarrass you or to shout you out. Every one of us have at one point or another been in one of those shoes, starting with your pastor. And so we're not shouting you out or embarrassing you. I just, I want you to know that you came here today because God loves you that much. And because God chose you and accepts you. And no matter where you came from, no matter what you've done, God can still use you. And God today chooses you. Would you guys come? Come and, and be together. Come and worship with us. Prayer team, would you come and just surround them? And just encourage them and pray with them? Come on, don't be shy. Just come down. What's love got to do with it? God loved you so much. That he sent you today so that he can receive you and accept you and love you. You are, and now up here you can have the goodies. You are the special. You are the apple of God's eye. You are God's loved. You are God's chosen. You are God's set apart. You are the ones that God accepts and the one that God loves. And listen, when you take a step to God, God says, if you choose me, I accept you and I throw all your junk and all your garbage in the sea of forgetfulness. Do you know that you will always probably remember the wicked things that you've done and the things that you've come from, but God says, I don't remember it. I don't remember it. All I remember is the one day that you came and threw yourself at the feet, praying that I would notice you, and I want you to know today that God notices you. God accepts you. Amen. Let's worship. Let's worship.